prostate cancer and radiation therapy. Can we do it better? You're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Men's Health. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, your host, and with me today is Dr. Charles Ank. Dr. Ank is a radiation oncologist and chairman of radiation oncology at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. He has treated over 2,000 patients with prostate cancer and has been actively involved in pivotal trials of radiation targeting systems. Dr. Ank comes to us today from his office in Omaha, Nebraska. Today we're going to be talking about prostate cancer and radiation therapy. Can we do it better? Chuck, thanks for uh, being with us today. We appreciate your taking some time with us. Thank you very much, Gary. Perhaps before we talk about the systems and prostate cancer, radiation therapy, maybe you could share with us a little of your own medical background and how you got interested in this area of research. Okay. You know, I don't know exactly when I specifically took an interest in prostate cancer treatment with radiation therapy, but it was certainly probably dating back even to my residency. And when I had first started practice 20 years ago, I guess I would consider myself as a generalist in radiation oncology where I essentially treated almost all disease sites. But certainly probably for the past 17 years of my career really have focused a lot of my attention primarily to prostate cancer. And I think in part, I saw men with prostate cancer as being a kind of a diverse group of cancer patients. You had clearly those patients who probably had prostate cancer that in all probability wasn't likely to influence their overall longevity. In other words, the, the old adage, the men who live with prostate cancer, but they don't die from it. But, you know, I think it's false to assume that all men with prostate cancer fit into that category. And clearly, there are other groups of men who have very aggressive prostate cancer. And clearly, that cancer will determine or influence their overall survival. And so, you know, I even tended to have almost more interest sometimes in the men with a more aggressive disease. Tell us, just to put this in some perspective, how long has prostate cancer been treated uh, either in part or in total with radiation therapy? How long is uh, the history of this process? Well, I mean, prostate cancer has certainly been treated with radiation back to the cobalt era. So, you know, we're talking well over probably now 50 years that radiation therapy has been used. But I think it wasn't really until probably the more modern linear accelerator era started back in the probably early 70s where you saw radiation therapy done as an outpatient basis for prostate cancer kind of taking over as a main treatment. But, you know, even in my 20-year career, you know, there's been such a change in how prostate cancer is treated with radiation based on improvements in technology from a standpoint of planning the radiation therapy delivering the radiation therapy, but certainly also targeting of the radiation therapy. Tell us about some of the problems that are associated with targeting that, that some of your work has been aiming to address. Okay. There's certainly no question that the prostate cancer has internal movement. And, you know, I think as physicians, we look at a, an image like a CT or an MRI 
and we'd look at those static pictures and you know you would just assume that the prostate is going to have the same spatial relationship to the bony pelvic anatomy every day based on what you look in that picture but in reality you know the prostate is an organ that is basically surrounded by things like the rectum that has differences in filling from day to day. It has real-time peristaltic activity. You have the bladder that has varying degrees of filling from day to day. You have issues such as respiration and obviously the issue of the patient themselves moving on the treatment table. And all of those things influence on a real-time basis where the prostate is located. Were your peers aware of those issues in sort of the pre-Calypso days? Was that appreciated, do you think? I think there was no question that we appreciated it from a standpoint of, let's say, day-to-day changes in the prostate position. And we refer to that phenomena as interfractional motion. And I think we recognized that was going on even back in the mid-1990s, at least in some centers were doing the preliminary work based on let's say, implanting a a radiopaque marker into the prostate and looking at where those markers were relative to the bony anatomy on a day-to-day basis and recognizing that they were changing position. I think in the past, you know, five years, you had a much greater appreciation of other forms of motion, including, let's say, motion that would occur during the perhaps 15 or 20 minute time frame that radiation was actually being delivered for prostate treatment on a daily basis. And, you know, the term that was coined for that was intrafractional motion. And the problem with it maybe five years ago or so was intuitively you knew it was there. There was some stronger circumstantial evidence and some imaging evidence to say that It did happen, but it was very impractical to find a way to actually monitor motion on a real-time basis. Right. Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to a special segment, Focus on Men's Health, on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, and I'm speaking with Dr. Charles Enk. We're talking about prostate cancer and radiation therapy. So we've been talking that uh, some of these targeting issues were appreciated and understood and named, but you've been involved with some work with a system that helps to address that and and other targeting issues. So maybe uh, you could tell us at this point, what is Calypso and why is it so important in the treatment of prostate cancer with radiation therapy? Well, let me take one quick step back and say that I actually got interested in image guidance back in, I think, March of 2000, and that's when we had purchased a piece of ultrasound-based equipment to do prostate targeting. And at the time, that was, I think, maybe the 13th system that was sold in the United States. So we were kind of early adopters of trying to account for targeting of the prostate itself as opposed to just relying on, let's say, bony anatomy for setup. But although we use that, we clearly understood that there were some occasionally some problems. And I think certainly anybody in radiation oncology who treats prostate understands that there have been concerns about 
technologies such as ultrasound because you have this image that, A, may be difficult for some of the radiation therapists, non, non-physicians, but the people who actually do a lot of the daily treatment, they may not have the skill set necessarily to always be able to interpret those images. And frankly, there are issues such as the techniques that you use to, to acquire the ultrasound image that affected, let's say, the observation of, well, okay, where do you think the prostate is today? And if you asked 10 people, you got a pretty wide spectrum of answers. And so there was a lot of problems with that technology with inter-observer variability. It was better than what you had before, but you thought it still lacked a lot of stuff. Absolutely. And so, you know, since that time, you know, most of us knew that there was still this potential for movement that occurred during treatment. For those of us not in the business, how long would a typical treatment regimen take? Right. So typically, for probably most of the equipment that's used to treat prostate radiation, the actual beam delivery time from the beginning of the treatment to the end of the treatment probably varies from approximately 10 minutes on the fast aspect to maybe 20 minutes on the longer aspect, in an average of, let's say, 15 minutes. And you felt that there could be significant enough change in position even within that time frame? Correct. And so it was interesting that I first started to hear about this kind of discussion of what they called intrafractional motion, motion of the prostate during treatment. And I was kind of wrestling with that, and I was at one of our national scientific meetings that's held each year, and there's also a, in the convention center, usually a display area where those companies that manufacture equipment for radiation oncology treatment of some form or another have their demonstration areas. And I saw a small booth with really nothing to show about it by a company called Calypso. And it was one of those things that this was a company that conceptually said, is there a way to deal with interfractional motion? And they indicated kind of what the problem was. And maybe, I guess, in theory, if you could use something that had radiofrequency signals, that you could monitor those signals on a real-time basis. And I thought that was a really, really neat idea. And so... They had nothing else to show at the time. It was just a sort of a concept? It was a concept. And the next year I came and they actually kind of had a prototype of what this equipment might look like. And it had a striking resemblance of maybe our first ultrasound system in terms of just how it looked, although clearly the technology was completely different. And then about... The next year after that, I was actually introduced to Eric Meyer, who is the president of the Calypso organization, and was actually approached about potentially participating in a clinical trial with the idea of trying to get FDA clearance of the Calypso technology. And clearly there had been other radiation oncology centers, MD Anderson in Orlando with Pat Capellian and the University of Michigan, I believe, with Howard Sandler, but also some physicists at the University of Michigan 
who had done some earlier work for Calypso to get them to this point, but now they were looking at sites to participate in kind of the final trial that would hopefully lead to FDA clearance. And they asked if we would be interested in participating, and and I thought that this was, you know, a great opportunity. And so we enthusiastically agreed that we would participate in that research. My thanks to Dr. Charles Enk, who's been our guest. We've been talking about prostate cancer and radiation therapy, and can we do it better? I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. You've been listening to a special segment, Focus on Men's Health, on Reach MD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. Or call us toll-free with your comments and suggestions at 888-MD-XM-157. Thanks for listening.